This is Bro with the Bros, hosted by Ryan and Ken Parsons, founders of the Brothers That Just Do Gutters. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Gutter, Behind the Brother. We've made every mistake in the book, so you don't have to. Our time to evolve as business owners is now. Let's grow together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Out of the Gutter. I'm Ryan Parsons, joined here with my brother, Ken Parsons, and we're the founders of the Brothers That Just Do Gutters. Today, we're talking about recruiting employees and training them for success. And luckily, we have a great guest today who's an expert in both. Serving Westchester, Fairfield, Dutchess, and Putnam Counties is George Apap of George Apap Painting, located in Patterson, New York. And just like us, his business requires a lot of working hands, and today we're going to learn all from George about how he manages and just crushes everything. What's well, up, George? Well, thanks for that. I feel like I'm talking to the experts. I don't know why you're talking to me. You guys seem to have it all under control. No, no, no. Well, I mean, before we get into the recruiting, just tell us a little bit about yourself and then and then your business. Um, well, you know, you guys know I've been um, like raised in the painting industry, so for me painting wasn't really a choice. It was kind of mandatory. My dad had seven kids because he needed more labor. And um, <laughs> I, I was out there at a very young age, literally. And, you know, and, and I, I hated it as a kid, but you know, the more you're out there, the better you get, the more you like it. And um, it's been fun to really watch the business develop from infancy to something that's a little bit more advanced now and more systematized. Yeah. And so you worked in the painting business and then you bought it from your dad at some point, correct? And it wasn't like it is today. It wasn't like it was, you know, 40, 50 employees and all this stuff. I mean, what was it like at that point? You know, it was at the point I think a lot of people were at where it was my dad running a team, right? So he was doing all, wearing all the hats and I was what we call now, I guess the crew leader or maybe even the field supervisor, probably a crew leader. And we had one or maybe two teams and we'd paint one or two houses at a time. And that's how my dad did it. My grandfather did it for, for decades. Wow, so three generations, kind of a two-crew um, company. Yeah. Wow, awesome. And so now, like, how many employees does your business have today? Or at least well, when we're it seasonal. gets up in, into the main season. Yeah, we're seasonal now. So at our low point, we're just under 40 in the field and um, just about seven in the office and uh, four in sales. So 40 in the field, seven in the office, and four salespeople at your low part of the season. Where, yeah. where are you in the, at the high point? Uh, well, the office stays the same, the sales stay the same, but the, the field grows just to about 60. Okay. That's yeah. incredible. That's yeah, incredible. Some of the people, uh, you know, there's some layoffs that will come back and we'll hire some new people every year. Now, of that labor force that you have, that 60 painters, um, I mean, how many are capable of like going out and, and I mean, do you have a lot of apprentices? Is it a lot of skilled people? What's that mix look like? I think people who are listening to this, you know, have this thing in their mind, like you can't find good help. Meanwhile, George gets 60 of them. Like, you know, what does it kind of look like? Well, we used to be more apprentice oriented, but we have gone more craftsman oriented partially because we've brought our apprentices up to craftsmen. So that's helped a lot. Uh, but we will bring in a handful of um, apprentices every year. We have uh, three right now. And um, so we just continuously develop those people. But we also hire on all levels. We're hiring mid-level and also top level. 
right now we're hiring top level. Um, so there's, there's always people available. It just takes a, a lot of effort to sort through and find the right ones. Yeah. So you wow. guys have been in this business for so long. Do you ever find that when you're recruiting these people for as many people that you need in Putnam County, New York, are you getting guys that come in like, man, this guy, we hired this guy like 10 years ago, or, you know, you get like these repeat guys coming in, you know, man, this is the third time this guy has worked for our company kind of thing. Or Yeah, we, we do get that. Um, two sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Um, and I have had, and I have right now a number of guys that were here years ago, some many years ago, like um, more than 20. And uh, one of my best guys actually was here, uh, left and came back and he's fantastic. And I have another a crew leader, similar story, but here about seven years ago, went for the opportunity, came back and he's outstanding. So I have some really good ones, but I've had a number of stories of people that didn't work out once, didn't work out twice. Um, so I've seen both. Wow. So let's try and focus on the pain part of this. Um, cause I think it, it, it would kind of not, um, I think our viewers might miss something if we just start talking about how we go from 40 to 60 every year, that point where you bought the business from your father and you've got like, I mean, yourself, it sounds like everyone knew what they were doing. You had a killer team, but once you have to start out growing outside of like when George might be doing the work himself or on every job, how is it that you were able to kind of recruit and get the company to that next level? Um, do you remember that part and, and how painful and how long did that last? Yes. <laughs> Seems like an eternity. <laughs> so you're trying to pretty good system now, but it, it didn't didn't just click to a good system. It yeah. used to be probably like everybody else in the painting industry where you know people back then would just call in and they we had a series of questions. If they sounded good, we're like, okay, you know, we'll try you tomorrow. We're gonna pay you this amount and we'll see how it goes. That was kind of like the, the way it went. And I think almost everybody in the painting industry is expecting that when they call in, they think all right, I'm just going to go into work tomorrow and do my best and they'll like me or they won't. And um, that's a, a tough road to go because you're really, you're doing all your sorting in the field and um, you know, you're dealing with a lot of people that shouldn't be there at all and all this stuff. So um, it, it was not easy, but now we've got a much longer process um, that really helps sort people out in the interview process. And uh, once they come in much higher probability of success. Okay. So, all right. So we're going to unpack this now. So um, I think anybody who's in the trades, they start believing this lie or is it true? Um, you just can't find good help. I mean, I bet people are listening to that. People say it all the time. Then I hear about guys like you that get up you know, to 60 guys and like a Nolan that has over 100 and plenty of other people that have unbelievable amounts of people and installers or painters what would you say to somebody that says, Hey, George, I just, I can't grow my business because I can't find good help. I hear that from almost everyone. And that's just so common because I think people are like, Oh, I need a, you know, a painter or a carpenter or whatever I need. And they just run an ad and they get a guy who doesn't work out and it just doesn't work out five times. And they're like, Oh, it's a failure. There's no one out there. And, and I think that's what most people think. And I can say, it is a tight market right now. And our, this last year, especially the end of 2020, uh, fall, summer and fall, we found it incredibly different finding applicants even. That was the first time we really hit a, a wall uh, because something, you know, the other market forces that work there. But having said that, 
I have never had so many wonderful people and wonderful craftsmen working for me ever. Not even close. Like it's just, wow. we have the best by far seasoned people, but also just great people that I'm so happy to have working here. So it just, it's taking years, you know, at least for me, everything's a little slow. I don't get it right away. But uh, we know that you know, in this, don't we, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> like you guys, it didn't just click, right? It just took a long time. Yeah. But we we have them now, and uh, I can tell you one thing. I have this word that I've come up with last year, and it's an oxymoron. It's not a, really a word, but instead of recruiting, I focus more on rekeeping, right? So it's the people we have. Is you, you got to make sure that that's going good. Otherwise, you're in a recruiting nightmare. If you don't have the people that you have that are happy and productive and everything else, um, you're going to have so much more recruiting to do. Wow. If, if the people you have are good, and another example I use, another um, way I look at it is you could take a medium person, an okay person, and bring them in. And in the past, if you, you know, we've had crews that weren't that good, and there's a bad culture on that crew, you take this medium person, put them in that crew, it's a guaranteed bad person. Now it's the opposite. You take a, a medium person and you put them on a great crew of happy, motivated employees and that are out there doing a great job. That medium person becomes good and even very good in a very short amount of time. So that's really the difference. The same person, it's what you're offering them. The environment they're working in is really what makes them a good employee or not a good employee. It's not so much they started good or bad. It's what you put them into that really makes a difference. Wow, that's huge. You should coin that. I like that rekeeping. Wrote it down. I think that's... Oh, uh, I was embarrassed to say it because it's not really a word. <laughs> no. Shoot, we call ourselves solutions. solutions. <laughs> all the time. So I have a question for you. One thing that you said in there is about, um, you know, you you have really happy uh, people working for you right now. How How are you... You know, it's great to have good people and good skilled people, and there's a lot of good skilled people out there. But how are you maintaining that kind of a culture where um, people, you have the best team that you ever had, and you feel that this is the happiest that your employees have ever been? What are some things that you do in your business to maintain that kind of a culture? Yeah, and I, I wish there was that silver bullet say, just do this and it'll all be great. You know, there's a lot of little things. And uh, unfortunately, now with, with COVID, it's taken the the bullets out of the gun for us, the things we do, like we don't, we can't do anything. We, we, we're actually isolating people instead of putting them together. And it's making it so much harder to build that culture. Mm. But uh, we, we still do a lot of things. And I think the most important thing we do um, is reviews, right? And there's many different names for whatever you want to call your reviews, but talking to your people, finding out what they're thinking. Are they happy? Is there something else they want to do? Something they love? Um, what is it that makes them like it or not like it, right? Y you can't underestimate the power of, of reviews. You get, you get treasure out of there. You find out, oh, this person really wants to be a leader. And I didn't know that. Or this person just loves exactly what they're doing. Or this person needs to work closer to home or whatever it is. You find those things out and that gets back to your rekeeping. So when wow. you find that out, much higher probability they're going to stay, right? And that, that's key. You're saying reviews uh, or getting feedback from your employees how do you set the table for that? Because a lot of times employees are a little bit kind of reluctant to maybe give their, you know, what they think or how they feel about a certain thing. So in order for you to get that from your employees is quite an accomplishment because a lot of times people feel like, man, what if I say the wrong thing or piss them off or whatever? They have all this head trash around giving feedback 
how do you create that kind of environment where people feel open? It's an open enough environment to where they can be able to say, hey, you know, and then and then also feel right that you're going to listen to them and implement maybe some of the things that they're doing. You know, they got to feel a certain way about that. And obviously they do. Your employees are, are giving you this feedback. How do you how do you get that to happen? It's kind of like everything else. We didn't start off doing it right. So, um, you know, in the beginning, it was just like you say, you have a review of people like, you know, they don't want to say a bad word. They don't want to say anything negative and they just want to get through it and get out of there. Uh, but once it's your second review, your third, your fourth and your fifth, and you know the process and you keep it warm, inviting and open and um, people, you know, not everyone, not everyone will, will be uh, forthcoming, but most are. And um, you'll learn amazing things. And I think you touched on something that's extremely important with this is you have to acknowledge whatever their thoughts are and see what you can do to make that happen. If they say, you know, I like this specific type of work, you know, can, can you steer me to that more often? And you try to do that. I want to work with this other crew, try to make that happen. You know, so whatever they say, even if it doesn't seem that important, it's important and really try to make it happen. That's huge. Wow. That's awesome. And how often are you doing these reviews? Twice a year. Um, but we do one, I wish I told you the exact time, approximately a month after hire. Okay. Um, there's like a 30 day and then it's every six months. Yeah. We found so the same They're going thing. on all the time. We don't do the whole company one shot. There's reviews going on to this morning. Yeah. So um, usually by teams, they come in and actually, of course, no one comes in anymore. It's all by Zoom. Yeah, I hear you. So, and we found that when somebody's brand new, those touches are important more often in the beginning, you know, that two week, that three, the, the one month. And then, and then, yeah, once somebody's been there and they're in a groove, you know, those, those six month um, reviews. Um, and yeah, we could probably do a whole nother podcast just on the questions that you would ask or do in a review. So we'll, we'll save that for maybe another time, because I think there are uh, one of my favorite questions, I'll just I'll just say it, is what is it that makes you stay with our company and what is it that would um, make you leave? And that's really um, a great question in a safe environment. Um, and it's amazing. I, I remember one time we had a girl tell us what would make her leave. And it wasn't, you know, she's like, if somebody offered me like so much more money, but it, it wasn't the money. It was like, if she could have just be doing something a little bit different that aligned with her talents, um, you know, that she utilized outside of work. And then we worked together to help her redefine her job description and work within her talents. And that was like the most powerful thing. Like she ended up leaving, rewriting her own job description and then moved into a new position in our company that was in her sweet spot. Like, where do you ever get to do that? <laughs> it was cool. Yeah. So there's a lot to the rekeeping part of it, but at some point you still need recruiting, right? It's like, you know, to me, holding on to the people I have is the most important, but um, we still do need to bring some new ones in the door and that, that can be tough too. So let's talk about that because you hit it right on the head earlier. Like everyone quits. Like they're, oh, I need a guy. I put out an ad on Craigslist. I got a bunch of applicants. Nobody shows up. It's all garbage out there. They do it five, even five times. Like you said five times for some people like, well, I did it twice and quit. I mean, five <laughs> times. I mean, you got to be able to get it by then. So what are some of the processes and mindsets that people need to have in order to break through that ridiculous recruiting recycle, this, uh, cycle? Yeah, well, most people wait until they really need people, like they're desperate. And then, um, you know, it's hard to pull it together because they probably don't have a process for doing it or anything. And it's hard to just make it happen. It's not like you can flip a switch. 
it's continuous, right? So we're, we're recruiting year round all the time. And we have someone that's, it's not his full-time job, but almost his full-time job is um, recruiting. And um, we have a whole process that people have to go through that if they just get through the process, that's a lot of it. Cause so much of what you hear when people say, Oh, I, I, I had this guy come in tomorrow and I told him to come in tomorrow and he just didn't show up. And we have that too, but that's early in the process. By the time they actually go to the job site, they're going to show up, right? Because we've already been yeah. through a lot with them. But just um, making them go through a process is, is important. So Shows tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah, um, yeah I'd love to hear I wanted that. to ask you something about that process. You know, obviously, in order to have somebody just about full time on staff to be doing that, um, what about somebody, you know, back when you first started out and started recruiting? You know, there's some people out there that might not be able to afford maybe that. But I think going even beyond that is what about starting out with at least something in your budget so that it's and if you're not creating a budget, you got to start there first. Right. Yeah. So but let's say you let's assume that people have a budget and they, they, they have a plan for their year. Recruiting definitely should be something that should be in that plan. Right. And I feel like what you just said earlier, that a lot of people wait till, you know, it's too late. And it's too late because it's something that's not on their radar and it should be just like gross profit and net profit and operating profit and all these different things that we have our eyes on to uh, set us up for success for the year. But recruiting a lot of times in these smaller businesses that are trying to get to the next level, it's not even on their radar in the budget. And if it's not on the radar in the budget, then how are you going to, you know, and that's why I think a lot of people, you know, it has to start in the beginning. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think was we've all been there and obviously I did it all myself. So I'm I'm very familiar with it. And it, it for me, it was just a discipline where I set a, a time in the evening, like an hour a day for a certain number of, you know, the certain time I'm, I'm really hiring, I focus an hour, then maybe I'm not really looking. I have a little less time dedicated to it, but always some time. And, you know, at that point, it was just phone calls and writing things down by hand and all that. There was no databases, but really dedicating a time each evening. I found the evenings back then was the time to, to contact people. And, you know, we interview questions. And then back then I was literally having people, the best ones just come in and start working. Uh, now the process is a little bit different where there's um, HR person. That's first people are uh, applying online. They're not calling in, they're applying online. So they're already populating the information that we want for us so we can scroll through it. And people that, meet the right criteria, we'll be scheduled for a phone interview. And then um, if they're good, we used to do a group interview up until COVID. So now we don't do group interviews anymore, but that was a big one. Come to a group interview, which is the most foreign concept for most everybody, but especially painters. They're like, what is this? We have no idea. But the group interviews were great because we got to learn a lot about each candidate and they got to learn a lot about us. We could talk about the company. And um, it was just, it was a really, really good tool for us and then if they were, you know, uh, we thought they'd be a fit and they were interested in us, we'd have them come for a skills assessment where they came with their tools and they did work in the shop and we got to measure certain things that we were looking for. So then we knew we had someone, they've been through quite a few steps. This took probably weeks to get this far. And then they have to go through a new hire orientation, which used to be live also in a group. Now it's virtual, but still it's ours. Well, now we've extended the days, but it was uh, four hours where you're giving them, first of all, basic safety information to start with, but then information about the company and information about what's expected of them every day so that when they start, 
they have a really good idea of what's going to happen and their chance of being successful is high if they really know what to expect on the first day. So it's a lengthy process. And since we can't meet in person now, we actually give them two full days of um, in our academy, the APAP Academy. So they, they do uh, the whole apprentice course in two days before they start. Even if they're a senior person, they still do the apprentice course. So we're investing so much in them. I think they recognize that, wow, these guys really are making, we've paid them for a lot of time already. They haven't touched a brush yet. This is a special place and it is. So uh, we think it's worth the investment. And some of those people aren't going to work out. We know that and that's okay. But a much, much higher probability they are going to work out because the effort we put into hiring them. Wow. And you make them feel special. What, what I've realized is that onboarding process is one that cannot be skipped. And it's something that absolutely like makes me insanely angry, I guess you can say, is when I hear that there's some people that made it to the field in one of our locations that really didn't go through onboarding because we were too busy, you know, where they didn't get the tour. They didn't get to go meet all the people that work there. I think that is so critical that especially if you're doing an extensive interview process, like by the time that they're literally giving you their social security card, they've shown you enough that you think that they're going to be a probable hire. I think that's just gigantic to make them feel included, to give them the vision of the company, vision for them, um, take take the time to show them how to be safe or work a ladder, all that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of people are too busy to do that. Meanwhile, they'll chew through guys like you wouldn't believe. And if they just made them feel a little special in the beginning, might have been a completely different outcome. Another thing that you said and what you just said, George, which is really key, I feel, to the success of somebody, you know, not everybody wants to grow a business big, right? But for those of the people that are out there that do and keep on hitting this ceiling, uh, which typically happens here with what we're talking about today, the one thing that you really said in, in here that stood out to me was HR. You know, and, and in order to grow your business, and somebody said this, I think it was Kevin Nolan uh, from Nolan Painting in Philadelphia. He has a, a monster company of over uh, 100 plus easy people and doing tons of money every year. Um, he said it in one of his talks. He said that, you know, you know, I, he, he was telling a friend or something. It was a story about a Fortune 500 friend of his. said, Kevin, in order to have a big company, there's two words for you. Human resources, right? Because humans are the resources that we need in order to grow a company. It's very logical and basic. But how does a small company get from being small to getting to be a bigger company? Um what are some of the tools that you used in human resources to be able to help you with this onboarding process? Um, uh, a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of things out there. What are some suggestions that you could make? Well, first, the newest one, and, and right, obviously, a small company is not going to afford a full-time HR person. Everybody, I think, can't afford to have um, at least outsourced HR, part-time HR that you're paying uh, on a limited basis to handle uh, some of these things. And they can even do this recruiting for you. They can do a lot of these things for you. So, and that's a new thing for me, this outsourcing. I wish I knew about it 10 and 20 years ago because, you know, the mistakes that were made and just in ignorance is- Us too. You know, <laughs> we're right there. Well, I didn't think you guys made any mistakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe one or two. Um, but anyway, so that's something I've learned new is outsourcing HR. So definitely look into that because they can do the recruiting for you uh, and also make sure you're compliant. Uh, even a small company, you don't realize compliance because you wouldn't know unless someone professional teaches you that. So that's one thing. Um, but 
even if you're doing it yourself, which a lot of people are, and certainly you and I did, it's just, and you, you actually taught me a lot of this, is documenting a process. So you don't know how to do a new hire orientation. Okay, well, what are some of the things you could talk about? Well, we don't know anything about safety because we don't have a safety program. Well, you could get some safety videos, right? You could get ladder training videos and you could do something without that much effort and just document what the first day of work looks like. Well, what time do you start? What do you need to bring? What do you wear? What about lunch? When are our break? How long do we work? You know, what do we say to the customer? And, you know, how to, all these different things. And what are the rules? And, you know, what, what type of tools do we need to bring? So if you just write all those things down, you're starting with a new hire orientation just by writing down a handful of things that you already know and making sure you share that to every person every time. And also on the outsourcing part, that can be helpful for people who are trying to get to the next level in the business. Um, you know, you can outsource it to companies like Paychex or ADP or Ethan Allen Staff Line. A lot of these companies are going to have uh, a lot of tools and resources for you to do, like a, a simple employee handbook. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel on a lot of these onboarding things. There's tools out there that you can use that cost very little. And a lot of these people bundle up a lot of other things like work, work workers pay as you go comp and payroll and, and, and safety. And they'll even come out to your place of work and even uh, do a safety demonstration, uh, some of these companies. So it's uh, definitely a nice I think a, a smaller company should definitely be outsourcing this stuff until they grow big enough to where they can take somebody on like you have that's doing almost full-time recruiting because that's definitely, you know, next level stuff. When you get to that kind of revenue, you have to take it in-house. We're, we're seeing that um, in a lot of different businesses that we were friends with uh, people that are having to take it to the next level. So that's good. Stuff. Ken, I'm outsourcing. We, so we just switched to Ethan Allen based on your recommendation, which, Oh. You don't know that, but Ryan, Ryan referred me to them. Cool. Even though we have full-time HR, we want our HR doing um, rekeeping, right? That's a primary focus and recruiting and not handling paychecks and benefits and uh, other things, insurances, and all those things that, that he was doing. That's all outsourced now. So he can be more free to do the things we really need to have done. And uh, that came from you guys. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to add from a you know, smaller company starting out, it's hard to prioritize dollars to HR. You know, you're all about buying tools, uh, maybe marketing or, or maybe trucks or something. It's easy to see how those things make money. None of those things make money like HR makes money. You have to have the HR right. Otherwise, you, the rest doesn't go. Or it goes, but much harder. It's yeah, much harder lower. to make it go. And bang your thing against the wall for 10 years longer than you had to like we did. You know? Yeah. But it also opens yourself up for... Um, you know, something, something bad can happen by not having that extra buffer in there. Oh, uh, you know, guaranteed if you're in business and you don't have an HR company or somebody helping you with paychecks, you're doing something illegal. You know, you, you're not doing it on purpose, whether it's the way you pay something that might not be in your handbook that's supposed to be there. It's really difficult um, to do all that and to learn all that. Um, and we're all using a PEO. I forget what it stands for, but you're basically co-employers. <laughs> Um, but it's like, you know, do you remember the George? I'll put you on. I don't know either. I, I believe it's professional. It's, it stands for professional employee, uh, organization. Yeah, I doubt it, but, um, you know, it stands for some, but it's the best thing we ever did. You know, if there's an issue, if you want to let somebody go, you call them up. It's like, Hey, I want to, and they, they, they walk you through it. They walk you through every little step of the process when it comes to HR and, uh, they charge a little bit on each person that you have. So, um, all right. So we've hit. 
I, the one thing before we kind of move on to training, there was a few things that we we talked about. Like, are we are you just using all the same outlets? Uh, Craigslist, Indeed, we, we we all kind of doing. We're starting at the same spot, right? Except you added that recruiter um, professional who Ken was right. Um, so you've added that recruiter aspect to it. But I believe they're doing about the same thing. They're just scouring all the work boards, correct? Yeah. So the, the one big thing, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of places to find candidates. It's, you know, um, you already mentioned some of them, but the best place, and you can't get an unlimited amount mostly, but you can get a few every year is from your own workforce. Tell us so about the that. people that you already have are going to give you your best uh, referrals. And, you know, we give them a little something for doing that, but they mostly do it just because they have their friends and family that wants another good job. They like it here and they want to share that. And I would say, I wish I knew the number, but it's probably five people a year close to it will come out of that. And some might be seasonal, some might be college kids that want some summer work or, you know, whatever. That's good. Um, but we always get really good candidates from our existing people. Yeah, we found the same. Have you ever used a recruiting, like a, um, a recruiting person that that's what they do for a living? Um, outsource that ever or never had to do that? Uh well, certainly the company we have now, Ethan Allen, offers that. Uh, we've done that for other, not for um, craftsman level positions, but for other like sales positions and things. We've, we've tried that uh, with mixed results. Okay. So, all right. So we have to be fast. We have to, like, I think the one thing, we're all willing to throw some money at it. We're all willing to post some ads, but I don't think people realize the amount of time. Like when you're an owner operator, you have a small company. I know some of our franchisees that are just getting out the gate. Um, they'll spend like Sunday night every week for two hours going through all the applications. They set up a bunch of things. They do put them through a few hoops and every couple of days they're, they're putting hours. So I think what people don't realize is like, I think Kevin Nolan started talking about this. Like you have to recruit like you market, you know? And I think of it like most of these people, like if somebody called and needed an estimate, they would handle it immediately. I would say, treat your applicants the same way you would an estimate. As soon as you get an applicant, look at it, review it, either pass it or, or do something about it. Don't sit on a bunch of, you know, a lot of people will be like, all right, I'm going to go through all these. They go through 80 applications and they get a pile of five or six and go, you know what? I think I'm going to, I'm going to call these guys this week. And then they sit and then they wait. And then, you know what? All of a sudden their, their recruiting issue doesn't seem so bad that week. So they don't call anybody. And then all of a sudden they need somebody and those people are gone. Like people are doing the dumbest things where it's the system. Like you said, it's, you have to, if it's Sunday nights, you go through them. If Tuesdays are your interview, I a hundred percent say interview at least four people an hour. So if you got 10 good people set up two hours and interview all 10, cause you know, someone's not going to show if this is the over the phone. So utilize your time, utilize your energy, but don't stop. You can't post these things and not do anything. Is that, does that ring true to what you you've found? Uh, it's a hundred percent. And I can tell you, I've been as guilty as anyone about, you know, falling into that rut, especially when I was doing it myself. Cause obviously I knew in the, the spring, we would start this time of the year, February, we get going and we would, we knew we needed people in the spring. So we'd start early, but then once you had enough, you kind of fall into that rut of not maintaining that discipline. Then all of a sudden you find yourself short again and you're like, Oh, you know, we don't have anybody in the pipeline. <laughs> it's never a good spot to be. So now we're always uh, always trying to keep a bench. 
So as we bridge over into a bench, I mean, that's huge. And I, I, I may, before we bridge into the next topic, what the heck is a bench? What do you mean? Is that like a bunch of applications that you like and you keep over on your desk? <laughs> no. So, you know, hopefully you're, you're fully staffed at some point, uh, but you still so when you've got looking. 60 guys and you, you literally can't use another guy. What are you doing? You still have to keep recruiting and tell people, you know, the next opening is probably going to be in about a month. We could put you in and you let them know, like the job's in demand and you, unfortunately you have to wait for the job. It's not available right now. And when people hear that, they're even more interested in the job. Like you can't come now. It's we, yes. we just hired, you know, three people. The next time will be in the middle of next month. Uh, we, we can put you in if you're interested, get you all ready. And then people are like, well, that sounds like a great opportunity because it is. And they'll wait for it. Wow. So our, my, my definition for uh, the bench is a group of candidates that are one phone call away from putting in their two weeks. So that's a true bench is somebody who you're engaged with. They are waiting for the opening. You might touch base with every once in a while, say, Hey man, just, you know, thinking about you can't wait till there's an opening and, or they're reaching out and saying, you know, we've had guys that they, they hear that we read books here as part of it. And they'll ask ahead of time, what are the books I have to read? I want to read them. They'll do crazy things. So that bench, you want them to be, one phone call away from putting in their two weeks. Uh, I it's because a lot of people are like, well, what if they already have a job? I'm like, well, a good bench of people that have jobs and they're just looking for a better opportunity, a better career path. So I, I would say that is a, a good definition of a bench. And I would also uh, add to that to add to that is if you don't have people that have that level of excitement and that are calling you of what can I do in the meantime kind of attitude where they're driven and, and they have this go-getterness about them where they're following up with you and seeking you out. Uh, if you don't have anybody calling you to do that, that means you're probably in trouble because you don't, you're not at that point where Ryan and George just described uh, where you need to be in the recruiting process to be ready because you could have all the staff that you need, but that one person might have uh how many of us have had people that have left because of personal issues, <laughs> you know, and that guy's gone and now you have to fill something and now you're back to square one. But if you have people that are already in that mindset because you've casted the vision to them yeah. uh, and that's what you guys are doing and talking about here is so you're casting the vision of, you know, this and they're excited about it and they're ready to leave at a drop of a hat and put their two weeks notice in. Um, if you don't have people calling you, that's a dangerous place to be because, um, you know, you could, you could, instead of going, you know, three steps forward in your business, you could end up going three steps back. Yeah. So here's where the problem is. So there's a, there's a great distance or a chasm between the owner operator, the couple crew operation, and, and somebody who's got a big company with fleets and all these recruiting programs. Obviously one is way more desirable. If I'm a painter, do I want to go work for a guy that's been doing it by himself for 20 years and just needs another helper? Or do I want to go work for someone like George Apap, who's got a company and a career ladder and, and a way for me to move up? And I, I honestly, I feel bad because a lot of the times the same people that say you can't find good help, they're actually not even a good company. And I would, I would say you have to really look inward. Why in the world? And people say, I don't want a big company. Well, if you don't want your company, in my opinion, if you want to attract good talent, it has to be bigger than you and what you can do by yourself. It doesn't have to be this empire, but at some point you have to have some depth if you're going to want to attract and re-keep and retain good people. 
So I don't know. I can't help but think that you got to look inward. If you can't find good applicants, what's the vision? What are you preaching to these people to get them excited? What do you think? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, part of the group interview, the best part of that was we were able to talk about our company. So yes, we're asking them questions, but we're taking the opportunity to explain, here's how we do things. Here's all the different divisions. Here's all the different opportunities in the company where people can go. And here's this person right here is now a supervisor who started eight years ago as an apprentice. Okay. And, and here's our business manager who was the receptionist 10 years ago. You know, it's like, there's a great career path here for people that like to work hard and want to improve themselves. And we have people that are, you know, painting at, at a certain level and they're happy there and that they like it here. So that's great too. But yes, being able to, first of all, feel that your company is a good place to work. And if it's not, that's probably the first place to start. Well, why isn't it? And it could be a, a small two or three person company and still be a great place to work. Yeah. Um, but you have to own that and believe that. Otherwise it makes it much harder. So we do, we're able to sell something that's very easy to sell because it's true and yeah. we have it and it is a great place to work. If you're another painter, you're much more likely to have a good career path here than any place else. Yeah. And do you believe business gets easier the bigger you get? Have you found that as you have more depth in your team, like people look at you and I and people like us that have to get 40, 60 employees like, oh my gosh, what a nightmare. How much is your payroll a week? I'm out. I'm going to stay small. Like, what do you feel about that? Well, there's that long stretch in the middle that's unpleasant. And, yes. it, you know, for me, <laughs> I had, let's say, 10, 10 painters and it was pretty comfortable. I was aggressive and I could sell and manage it. And it all went, you know, pretty good because I had eyes on it, maybe two, three jobs and it was going okay. But then when you get in that mid range, when, uh, you know, I didn't organize it that well at that time. So it was rough. You know, things were feeling disappointed all the time, people not doing what you want them to do. And, not meeting expectations, but then now it's the opposite. Now we're in a, a sweet spot where, you know, a lot of people are out there. And if one person goes down for whatever reason, there's someone to cover them. When you only have a small team, one person goes down. Wow. You're in trouble. But when you have a bigger team and because things happen, people get sick and have all kinds of issues yeah, and they can't come to work. It's nice to have the security of having more people there to, to, to bridge that gap. So depth. And again, that goes back to the bench and everything else you talked about. So let's talk a little, so recruiting, we, we kind of hit that pretty hard. Um, now, getting people through the door is one thing, getting them trained and up and running to get somebody who's a painter and you've got an excellent reputation. So you've got people coming through the door, you're hiring five, 10 people at a time when you're rolling. How is it that you're able to train and maintain that quality that gets you those five-star reviews um, continually? You know, you're literally practicing in, in and on people's houses, just like we are when we hire somebody new. How do you fast track that training? You know, there's different levels, right? So if you're talking green apprentice, well, the crew already knows this person doesn't have knowledge of what's going on. They've been through the training, you know, which today is online, but so they, they've, they've seen it, but they haven't done it. And you have to have good expectations that, okay, we can't expect them to paint windows because that's not where they're at but we build them up every day and we monitor it and track that progress. And our leaders are actually, uh, they're amazing at developing talent. They, they like people learning the trade. They have a passion for it. So that makes it much easier when you have people that are involved that just generally want to do it. So, um, you know, there's different levels. Maybe there's a, a painter comes in a craftsman level 
But when you come here, it's different because we're painting different, you know, even though it's still a brush and a roller, we have different systems, different ideas and different things we're doing that has to be taught. And that's even harder, I think, uh, because they may be a 20 year veteran and they have a regimented system and it's hard to fit into our system, which is also fairly regimented. So um, setting the expectation up front that, hey, we do it a little differently. Uh, we have flexibility how you get done, but the results have to be this way. And then that, like you mentioned earlier, that checking in, hey, how did it go? And making sure it's okay. And if not, we might make a change. Hey, maybe that crew isn't the right crew for your dynamic. We'll, we'll maybe move somebody to a different crew or give them a different type of work. Um, as long as they're they're committed and they're interested in doing the work, we're going to be flexible in how we do it. But there has to be some tracking and some uh, feedback early on, especially. Wow. So we kind of, um, years ago, we realized if, um, and, and let me know if this works for you. We realized if somebody comes to us and asks for more money that we failed them because our job as an employer, especially when it comes to the field is to design something. So they know where their next raise is. Um, so whether they graduate from apprentice to, um, painter or however it is, do you have something in line that like kind of takes the mystery out of pay, um, and they're working up and towards something? Uh, we do. And I can tell you it's a hard cycle to break because there is something, maybe it's traditional, where people think every year there'll be a raise. Okay. And there oftentimes is. But like you, we're looking for some extra um, skill or some extra ability to be added on, responsibility to be added on for that. Um, you know, but there's a cap at their, you know, whatever level they're at, there is a, a hard cap. And everyone's aware of that hard cap. So once they reach that, they, they know. And not everybody wants to go to another level, but we do give opportunities in that level um, with various um, bonuses. They can do different things to make extra money. And uh, if they want to make extra money here, the one good thing you have is overtime. So if you if money is what you're interested in, we, we can help you out with that a lot because we wow. offer a lot of overtime opportunities. I thought overtime was like, yeah, we'll pay you more overtime. No, not like that. <laughs> so here's a great exercise we'll do this together it's kind of fun a lot of people don't have any idea you know when they're hiring somebody and with skills and when people say i need a raise because my girlfriend's pregnant and all this other stuff that we deal with as business owners um a lot of like so what i love to do is do this quick exercise and we'll do it together george all right so you're going to create kind of a, a skill level in your company by just doing this all right george I got a guy, what's minimum wage? Let's say it's 10 bucks an hour. He wants 10 bucks an hour, all right? What do you expect him to be able to do? Well, for us, that's a green apprentice. Okay, and now what, come on, like what, are he, what do you want him to do? Oh, what, so just all, all we need him to do is have a good attitude and work hard and be able to listen and follow instructions. Okay, so foundational qualities, which are awesome. And I would imagine that's the guy that wants 100 bucks an hour too. He still has to have those qualities, right? Now, skills-wise, are you expecting anything? He's on the job site. What would you expect from him? No technical skills. It's Wrapping really just being able to listen cord, to instructions and drop cloths, sweep the floor. They, they have to learn all that. Like there's yeah. a way of folding drop cloths. There's actually yep. a way we do it. You know, there's a way of folding up extension cables. There's a, a way of doing everything. So when you come in, you know. Um, the masking has to be a certain way. You can't just go mask and that's good enough. Well, someone has to show you exactly how the masking goes. Okay. Otherwise, you, you can't just left to do it. Even so, caulking, oh. you have to be taught how to caulk. So we just made a job description. All right, apprentice level, 
10 bucks an hour, must show up on time, have a good attitude, be willing to learn, be clean. By the way, you might want to get involved with your HR company. I think the minimum wage has gone way past $10 an hour. Well, I'm so just starting to glitch. You might have a glitch there. If no, no, no. This that. podcast, <laughs> it goes across the entire country and the okay. minimum wage okay, is different everywhere. So fair I'm just, enough. I'm going to use round numbers. So now let's just say another guy um, shows up and he's like, hey, listen, I need 30 bucks an hour. What does that guy need to be capable of? Just cleaning up and showing up on time? No. So we have a list, right, of all the skill sets. And that's actually going to be above the craftsman level pay. So that's into a leader pay. Okay. And um, I mean, craftsmen can come close to getting there if they hit all these other little metrics that we can tell them about. But you have to be a senior person that can lead a team at that level. All right. So we're already kind of, and then now when I, what I feel gets tough is now like that 18, 20, 22, that's where it becomes difficult for us to kind of, they're doing a lot of these cool things, but they're not quite the leader. If I leave them alone on a small job, they're fine. But as soon as I have them lead more than three guys, that's where all the nuances happen, right? In between the, in, in the medium pay. So the whole exercise that we just did. clarify that it gets tough for other business owners um, because we definitely have a program in place, right? there. Yep. <laughs> that. And that's what we found is doing a skills ladder program. It's exactly what we just did in that, you know, two minute exercise. If you own a business, no matter what it is, or the trades I, I feel is, um, you know, I have my head wrapped around how to do that. If you're a chiropractor or something, I, I don't know, it's got to be different. But just thinking of the top and, you know, bottom. And if you've ever been in the position where somebody comes into your office and like, hey, man, I need 25 bucks an hour. I'm quitting. And you're like, ha! you know what you'd have to do for that kind of money? Then if, if you're having that conversation after they've asked, you've failed them. Because that's the conversation that needs to happen when somebody's just starting, whatever you start them at. And you say, hey, listen, if you want to make more money, Becoming a craftsman when you—that's—that's that's where you get to this level. And if you really want the big stuff, then you've got to be running teams like this person over here. So I would say, if you want to start recruiting and getting people into a company where they can see themselves growing, you kind of have to figure out this stuff as well. Is once they're in there, how do you keep them motivated um, to continue to want to work up? You know, well, if I just back up one topic on you there is that's where our skills assessment. So when they come in, like no painter and I'm probably no gutter person has ever been asked to come in for a skills assessment. Let's see, we have these various tests and we can tell right away, quick story, uh, before we had all this stuff so organized, we were doing skills assessments, but this one older distinguished gentleman came in and he interviewed him in person. He had the perfect painter's whites on and he talked the lingo. It was Ray, not your Ray, different Ray. Uh, you know, but he knew, you know, running all these jobs, he's done everything. And I didn't dare put him through a skills assessment. That would just be an insult. And we put Ray right onto the biggest job we ever had. And he had to do uh, run this, this big project. And he got along so good with the architect and the owner and the builder loved Ray. Turns out Ray knew almost nothing about painting. He was a great person, great with them. Didn't produce, couldn't produce anything. Didn't want to produce anything. And this was a working position where he had to actually paint and lead. He did great at the leading part and the organizing part, but really couldn't actually paint at all. And I said, that's it. Mm -hmm. I will have to skills test every single person. I don't care what they look like, what they tell me, what their tools look like. I got to see it. And, um, you know, many times we're proven wrong. Someone and people think 
they're wonderful. It's just in our environment, they maybe aren't. And we have to measure that before they start. So we have a pretty good way of uh, putting people in that right slot when they start. We can offer them a certain amount and that's all we can offer. Wow. So if anybody listening, there, there's, you know, there's no silver bullet. I think people are looking for that magical website, you know, like, oh, you know, what's the new website you're using to get all your people? There's, it's a culmination of everything. It's a culmination of spending the money, spending the time, um, actually taking the time to run people through a process the same way that we might do for a new client. Like you're taking them through a process to see if they're a good candidate. And at the end of the day, it actually saves you a lot more time because I'm sure all those guys that you're field testing, sometimes you kept guys, right? That you shouldn't have because they're already out there for a week and you can hear they suck and they banged in once or twice, but for some reason they still got a job two, three months later, right? So one of my big rocks for 2021 is being able to move the C players out more quickly because we get stuck like everybody else. And we have someone in a role that's doing it, but not as well as we'd like. And we keep going with that person because they keep coming to work and they're still doing the bare minimum. And a, a big rock is to say, no, we're going to have enough applicants and enough of a bench ready to go that we'll be, have the luxury of being able to uh, replace the, the weak performers. That is awesome. And that's, shoot, man, there's people that have three people and, you know, but to have as many as you do and still have that kind of standard is just, that's admirable. I, I love that. Um, that's awesome. So I think we kind of covered the gamut. Any kind of final thoughts on, uh, you know, between recruiting, interviewing, training? You know, I remember when you guys were just not getting it done and to see you guys kicking butt now and to uh, doing it, it's just, it's amazing. And I think it comes down to watching you and Ken in your green book and writing everything down meticulously for years, really struggling. I hope I don't embarrass no, you by no saying that, that you guys struggled terribly. And yeah. not for like a couple of years, it seemed like it was an eternity of struggling. <laughs> and then all you're building something and you're just grinding away at it. Cause you knew you had to document this. You knew how to put gutters up, you know, and you knew how to hire people, but you didn't have to, to make a process out of it. And then did you ever make a process? It's just, it's amazing. It's just so inspirational for me, a little inspirational where I'm making my process better. Just watching your process. Well, I appreciate so, um, that. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah, likewise, I think we can't end without kind of talking about how it all began. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to start the whole thing like that. There's a few stories we could leave out, I think. Okay. Oh, no, those are the only ones I was going to tell. But so, you know, George hit it on the head and this is going to kind of span across and, and fill in the, the blanks. But I mean, um, I, I believe I was introduced to George through a BNI referral. So when, whenever you're trying Amazing. to get somewhere in life, you've got to advance yourself. So Ken and I are big on reading books and going to seminars and, and trying to learn because we were just banging our head against the wall as George was able to see from the outside looking in. But I got introduced to George and he had a gutter guy already. And he was kind enough to take the call because it was a BNI referral. And then I don't even remember. We just kind of started. I think I started passing some referrals. Then he felt bad because he didn't give me any gutter work. So That's gave, definitely what happened. He gave me a few gutter jobs. First of all, my gutter guy was a huge guy that I was uh, scared not to do business with. Okay. Yeah. And I almost cost me my life by doing business with you, but it worked out. Uh, it was a rough, rough transition there, but it worked out. I risked my life to do business with you. I remember that. <laughs> but it, he, just, he came time. to my shop when I had you put gutters on my shop and he gave me, let me know what he thought of that. And yeah. I was scared. 
He almost he probably was gonna throw a gutter coil on your head. So, he could have. No, he could have for sure. So so kind of trying to make a, a long story short, we kept crossing paths. And I think every time I saw you, I saw what your business was, and I'm like, I was intrigued and I would ask you questions and we would kind of speak the same lingo and you were, you know, and I'm like, I really looked up to you as far as like, as a mentor of like, I mean, how do I get to this next level? This guy, George seems to have it figured out. And I remember one day, I think this is, we were probably really passing a lot of work back and forth by this point, but I was doing an estimate on a job and I believe you were heading either to the same house or a different one. We pass each other on the road, right? I remember literally right. like country road, you went Pick past it up. I flagged you down. What happened right there? <laughs> and then what happened right there? No, I just came out of the car. I know how you guys love knowledge and you love to try to make things go. And I said, hey, I got to tell you something. I got to refer you to my, my business coach. He's done an amazing thing for me. I couldn't have thought of how to systematize uh, things the way we've done. And it was, you know, I've learned from my coach. And this coach will really help you. You should try it. And I remember you guys were really struggling. You had no money whatsoever. And to, to pay you the monthly fee, which wasn't that much, but it seemed like a probably a fortune at that point. It was uh, like it was January or December. It was like not the time of the year yeah. to spend money. The slow time when you have no money, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we did. But, and uh, I remember flat out asking, like, come on, really? You're like, I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for them. I can flat out say that without anything. And I'm like, all right. So Ken and I made the call. We ended up hiring them and uh, best move we ever made. And that's kind of like really where we learned. We had a lot of good instincts. We, we did a lot of things right. We did a lot wrong, but that's where it all kind of started to gel. And I, I really, to this day, um, we wouldn't have the franchise that we have. We wouldn't have the business that we have if it wasn't for you introducing them, um, helping to mentor us through all these years. Uh, it's been truly like a journey and it's always fun when we get together and then make fun of all the insider stuff we know about <laughs> each other's businesses. <laughs> so if you want to shorten the runway, of all the pain and suffering that George and Ryan and I have had to go through, hire yourself a coach, you know, somebody that can show you, you know, and direct you so that you don't have these minds that we all encounter in business blow up in your face. That's what a coach is there for. And then also the network of people that you're exposed to that have already gone the way of success in uh, a service-based business you'll be able to get so much more knowledge uh, from associating with those kinds of people. And, and that's really when Ryan and I started to uh, really uh, figure, start figuring things out uh, is because we were taking in knowledge and applying it and implementing it into our business. And certainly if, if Ryan and I and George APAP uh, can do it, I mean, you guys can do it too. I mean, and that's the key. If you want to shorten that pain and if you've tried it and you've hit a wall, that's the shortcut right there. If you're going to take a shortcut, get somebody to coach you through it. Um, and it's worth the money. Uh, you're worth the money to spend on that. Um, and I think that that's important in every aspect of life is to have some. And going, going right along with that. I mean, that's what you guys have done, right? You've, you've developed a process so people can come to you and buy a franchise and they don't have to think of the process. They just have to have the commitment to follow the process. If you follow the process, it's going to work. The more you deviate, the less money you're going to make. That, that, that's kind of how it works. You know, but Simple. something else just that I think is really important, it's important for me, and Ryan mentioned it, is, you know, you guys have always been readers. And, um, you know, and I do read, but I mostly listen. I have Windshield University and my one <laughs> audible book a month. And I pick good books, right? And I right. listen to them. I might listen to them two or three times over the course of a year because there's so much in these books. But 
just using that windshield time. I think a lot of us have a lot of windshield time and it's just so you can't even measure the impact of that over the course of 10 years, 20 years of doing that. It's, it's amazing how much knowledge is learned. Yeah. The, the results uh, and the, the results that happen in, internally within us, the compounding uh, external results that we get from taking the time to invest in ourselves is really critical to also you know, attracting the people that we want into our business to make our businesses what we envision them to be. So I think that's super important. That's a great point. No, that's awesome. And when you're growing, when George is listening to that book and the next time him and I go out to dinner or something, he's going to, he's going to just transfer something from there. Something's going to come up and he's going to be, Oh, you know what I've been doing? And I'm going to go, Holy cow. So when you invest in yourselves, you can't help, but invest in your team and others. And I think that's why you know, your, your, your business is growing, George, is because you're growing. You didn't stop. You were successful 10 years ago, um, but you didn't stop and you didn't stop growing. So you, you keep making deposits in yourself. And I believe that enables you to continue to make deposits in your people and have them go and accomplish amazing things through your business and your vision. Well, uh, that's true. In the dinner we had just last week where a lot of ideas came out there. And I got to tell you, I learned a ton. Right. And I was mostly listening. I just learned so much at that dinner. But the thing I learned that's the most important is that now you're such a big shot. You're always paying for my dinner. Okay. That's a new rule. No problem. My pleasure. You can pay for my dinner since I'm not, not a big shot then. Right. right. <laughs> George, thank you so much for coming on today. This was a lot of fun. I hope uh, anybody listening got some nuggets out of this and some things to uh, actually put into action in your business. And that's the number one thing. Great for listening, but if you got to put something into action, take one thing, maybe two and go do it. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you implement at least one or two nuggets from this episode that will give you the confidence to grow. Subscribe to our podcast to stay updated and grow with the bros.